Welcome out to the Bulls and the Bears. This is Aaron Warby. Um, joining me today is Kelly Boykes. He's one of our instructors and, um, you know, and a friend. He's been teaching here in the Phoenix area for quite some time now. And, um, and actually, you've taught all over the world, but, but uh, here in the Phoenix area, we get to take advantage of your services more often than uh, the many of the other places because you live here. Uh, pleasure to be here, and yes, this is home, so it's my honor and privilege to teach in the Phoenix area. Yes, well, and it's our honor to have you, but uh, Kelly, is, you know, he's he's an instructor here. He's, you've actually, I'm going to introduce you just a little bit, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself also and, and uh, fill in some of the details, but uh, Kelly's been um, an instructor for most of his professional life in one capacity or another. Now, uh, teaching trading is is uh, something that um, has come up over, I don't know, how, 10 years? Probably just around the market crash in 2008, 2009. Okay. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing here. So, yeah, that uh, I also got furloughed. I was a pilot for a while, and I was furloughed from the airline, so I needed a job, and I needed a way to rebuild my uh, my exchange-traded funds and all of my income and things like that. So I lost a lot because I didn't know what I was doing. Right. That, and that led me on the journey to become a broker. And then through a broker, I was introduced to OTA and lucky enough to be hired and picked up as an instructor here. And I've never looked back. Oh, very good. Yeah. So so you spent some time. Um, now, you, you, you've also instructed uh, pilots. I mean, you, you taught pilots how to fly as well. Right? Yes, I was a certificated flight instructor and I got all the land ratings and I not only trained pilots, I trained pilots how to be instructors. Mm -hmm. So that was very cool. And so one of the things that Online Trading Academy does for me, they allow me to train other folks to become instructors. So that's uh, that's, that's a fun thing to do. Yeah. Now, you know, just, just so that everybody understands, Kelly was first a broker and then came to... Um, uh, to Online Trading Academy, learned how to trade. You learned how to day trade from Online Trading Academy? Absolutely. As a broker, okay. I had a lot of bad habits. Yeah. As a broker, <laughs> I was the guy that called you up and said, this is a great time for you to buy Ford. And then I found out because the traders in the same brokerage actually bought Ford a lot lower and they were looking for somebody to sell it to. So I didn't understand that just as a broker. So They were giving you lists of things to suggest Absolutely. that people buy. And then I figured on. out why when I started going down to the basement and watched what the traders were doing. <laughs> so a friend of mine worked here at uh, Online Trading Academy, and I came by and I hung out in a class for a while, and I noticed that what Online Trading Academy was doing looked an awful lot more like what the traders were doing than what I was supposed to be doing as a broker. So I jumped at the opportunity to come here to be an instructor. Yeah. Very good. And and just so that everybody uh, knows, to be an instructor at Online Trading Academy, you actually have to prove that you know what you're doing. You've got to be green on the screen for a number of years. I don't, I'm not, how many years? Four years? That's uh, what they want? Something when like I that. became an instructor here, we needed three years. Yeah. Three years. Yeah. So so three years of, uh, of showing you know consistent profits as a trader. Mm -hmm. in order to be here. Um, and Kelly has been able to do that. He's an instructor and he's, you know, an outstanding instructor. Uh, I love, love, you know, the, the thing that I don't think people understand is, is that, uh, you know, like it or not, I know that the market looks very chaotic and, and, um, you know, you look at it and you, you're just looking at a bunch of squiggly lines if you don't know what you're looking at, but it's actually much more mechanical than that. And so if it's something that's mechanical, then it makes sense that if you apply a methodical 
you know, strategy to that mechanical instrument that, um, you know, you can actually uh, increase your probabilities of being profitable quite a bit. Um, and, and so the more methodical you are, the better you tend to be. Absolutely. Um, and the same thing with teaching. Uh, so I love having Kelly here because when it comes down to it, he's always pushing the methodology, methodology, methodology. And sometimes we'll have uh, people come in that, that tend to want, you know, the deep, dark secrets. And, um, you know, really, when they start talking about the deep, dark stuff, you know, I get a, a little bit of a red flag. I say, wait, wait, wait. You know, let, let's get back to the uh, basics here. Basics is what we teach. Basics is what's going to pull you through. So, you know, they uh, sometimes uh, when people get too fascinated of, on uh, things that work every once in a while, they that's when they tend to, uh, to have problems in their accounts. Stick with the basics and you're going to be fine. Anyway, um, and that's exactly what uh, Kelly teaches and exactly his style. You know, anybody tries to tries to uh, get too far off track, and he's great at just pulling him, in a kind way, pulling him back around. Mostly in a kind way. Mostly, yeah. But we do have a stick in the classroom, <laughs> just in case. That's right, that's right. You've always got that ruler, right? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, anyway. So last week we discussed the idea that during the holiday time frame, we are going to largely ignore uh, you know, market movement or price action um, in terms of uh, of that being an indicator as to you know the market direction, you know and things like that, because really you've got a lot of thin trading, and like it or not, you know those those institutions that we call the market makers bring a lot of structure to the markets, and you know so when the institutions are on break, you know they're taking holiday as well and they're not trading, then some of that structure really falls apart. And therefore, you can't trust what you're actually seeing, um, at least for a long-term perspective. When the market makers are away, what you're left with is the individual trader, and they trade usually on uh, tips and emotion. So when you see the markets moving with emotion, it's probably not as reliable as when the markets are moving with institutional guys putting hundreds of millions of dollars into into the market. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like it or not, when an institution comes in with their hundreds of millions of dollars, they are going to make an impression on the market, <laughs> an indelible impression. And, uh, you know, so if they start buying with hundreds of millions of dollars, then something's going up. That's just the way it is. Can't do anything else. Yeah. So, you know, so um, without that structure, without without the institutions there, that thin trading um, starts looking a lot more chaotic, a lot more like emotion than it does structure. So we're not going to look at, at uh, what happens over the next little while, and I'm not going to try and, and uh, you know, uh, talk about anything upcoming because, well, for traders it doesn't matter, and for you um, investors, well, I've already talked about it. Right. For the longer term picture, I've already talked quite a bit. And if something changes, I'll let you know. Uh, but, you know, I have had a lot of calls lately and I did, did want to mention this briefly. But uh, people call in every once in a while. They come into the center and they want to talk about uh, some of the long term picture. And one of the themes that I get is, hey, isn't this crazy? I mean, the market is just do, do people not know what's going on? The market keeps going up, but the reports look horrible if you know what you're looking at. 
And I agree with them. You know, things don't look good. There's so many canaries in the coal mine that are dead that, you know, <laughs> that it's starting to get silly. Just the same. Well, I'd be the first one to agree with you, but the reports and the economy are not the market. The market is its own independent well, animal, and it has its own set of rules. And you know what? It's always been that way, and I don't think that people appreciate that. In fact, um, uh, there was an economist that I, he was back in the early uh, 1900s. Uh, John, um, what was his name? John Maynard Keys. Mm-hmm. Keynes. Yeah, Keys. Kings? I, I thought it was, was. Keys. Okay, either way. I think it was Keys. Same guy. Anyway. I've heard of John Maynard. Ways. Yeah. Jam. With a K at the jam end. Jam to his friends. Like yeah. <laughs> jam to his friends. That's right. Anyway. Yeah. Um, he said that the markets can remain irrational a lot longer than you can remain solvent. And and so that's always been the case. If that was the case, you know, way back at the, uh, at the turn of the last century when he was um, an economist, then, it, well, it's certainly true today. Absolutely. Um, and so, uh, you know, when you're, when you're looking at the market, don't, you, don't, you don't have to expect that the market is going to follow the economy right now. It never really has. It's always been kind of late. Um, so, and, and the truth is, is that the market only goes down when people sell. And people only sell when they know that it's wrong. So if you've got a massive population of people that have no idea what the reports mean in the first place, then price action doesn't have to follow it, you know? It can do what it's going to do. And it always does what it's going to do in spite of the reports and sometimes in the opposite direction of what the reports would have you think. Well, yes. Now, um, in the past, when more of the population of traders uh, understood more of the reports, then we could expect that the price action was going to follow those reports a little bit more closely. And it did. And it did. Yeah. In fact, until uh, 1996, when the internet came about, um, you could... You know, in fact, there was a movie. What was the movie uh, called? It was uh, Trading Places mm-hmm. with um, Dan Aykroyd. Who was, it was Eddie Murphy? Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, yeah. Yeah, it was Eddie Murphy's breakout role. Feeling um, good, Lewis. <laughs> Looking good, Billy Ray. That's right. It's a great movie. <laughs> it is, you know, but um, the whole movie was centered around the market makers, uh, you know, manipulating the market. Now, the way that they used to do it is simply get the reports earlier than everybody else. And that's what the whole movie was about, right? Um, Dan Aykroyd had been on the floor. He understood the game and he tells Eddie Murphy about it. And Eddie Murphy, streetwise, you know, kind of guy figures out, all right, we're, we're going to get this before they do. And they, so they intercepted the report before the big guys uh, got it and gave them some false report or something like that. And they were able to take them to the cleaners and, hey, what a great movie that was, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, that's the way it used to work. But again, when the population there in 1996 and forward, especially, uh, you know, stopped relying on reports, they didn't know how to interpret them anyway, that didn't work as well. And so now it has to be done on a totally different level. And so if you've got a, the massive population out there that simply doesn't know what's going on, then you can't expect. In, in fact, here's one of the things that I just love. Let's see if you remember this. How many times, especially earlier in your career, did you hear the phrase, don't fight the Fed? Constantly. Constantly. That, that, was, that was a you know, diehard rule. You don't fight the Fed. If the Fed tells you it's going down, guess what? Market's going down. And they've got more money than anybody and they can make the market do what they want. Well, right. But if you look at the way Powell has been talking over the last year or so, 
the market has done nothing but fight the Fed. Really. I, I mean, That's you know. That's a good point. Yeah. Powell has been saying, hey, you know, we're going to see market pain, market pain, market pain. And the market, yeah, it dove off for a little while. But then he kept saying market pain, market pain, market pain. And it smiled and kept going. We have a whole generation. We have a 10-year bull market that we're coming off on. We have two generations of investors now. And all they've known is buy the dip. And so they're tone deaf to anything else. Yeah. So they keep buying the dip. Right. And so far, it's kind of floated the market a bit. And that's going to work right up until the point where it stops working. Yes. No matter what Chairman Powell says. That's right. The trend is your friend till the bend in the end. I've right? heard that somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, so besides that, you know, trying to answer that question, now I just want to do something fun. And here we are in the holidays. And one of the popular songs when I was young, and this is probably going to tell you how old I am, but it was uh, the 12 Days of Christmas right? Not quite as popular today. I haven't heard it for a long time because it gets kind of repetitious and I think it's fallen out of favor a bit. But we are going to not do the 12 days of Christmas. What we're going to do is the 12 days of trading in this Ah, episode. That's a good idea. There's too many birds in the 12 day of Christmas anyway. Yeah. 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 Back when it was written, I think they were obsessed with fowls. They were. It was a very foul time. Foul. Yes. All right. So we're just going to go through and we're going to talk about the numbers in the trading market. Uh, We're going to start with one. On the first day of trading, the market gave to me one doji candle. Now, I could have picked any any type of candle, all right, but I'm going to pick the doji candle because when I see a doji candle or a hammer or something like that, that is a point of indecision. Now, I, I kind of like the, the, especially the small doji candles the best because I know that there's a lot of indecision right there, all right? But that is a market ready to break out either high or low, and it's a good, I, you know, it, what it represents is a great um, period where you're saying, all right, there's a struggle between the buyers and the sellers right at that point. One of them is going to win. But it also represents probably one of the better um I I don't know, one of the better candles where you, you can pick out um, that as, as either a supply or demand zone. And in so, formation, absolutely. In the formation. So I love um, seeing that because, because I know, you know, that is, that, that's one of the keys of a struggle. Now, right. if I see a whole bunch of them in a row, don't like that as much. Too much of a struggle. Too much indecision. Yeah. I want to see it struggle a little bit and then pop away in one way or another because I want to see that either the buyers or sellers are winning at that point. Decisively and Very, quickly. Yes. I love decision. Absolutely. Indecision is awful. <laughs> don't you think? Indecision may or may not be one of my problems, though. I'm not quite sure on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah, what I want to see in the market is, is, is a decision being made because I know that when it gets back to the same point, somewhere around that, uh, you know, that indecision point, that another decision is going to be made and probably in the same direction. And maybe the decision's already been made. Just when price moves away, they're not going to chase price. Institutions that cause that to form in the first place, they're going to be patient and they're going to wait for price to come back. So the decision's already been made. And yeah. so if you can identify that when price comes back to that area, your decision's been made as well. Yes, you've got a much higher probability. Absolutely, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, you know, one of the things that we teach is how to identify where the uh, turning points, the most likely turning points are. Highest probability turning Highest points. probability, yep. So, you know, first day of, of, uh, of the trading, the market gave to me a doji candle. That's, 
That's what I'm going with. All right. Second day of trading, the market gave to me two opposing zones. Ah. I think that this is kind of an underappreciated thing. Now, um, you know, if, if you're not, if you're trained by YouTube University, then you know this as support and resistance. Not very descriptive of what's really going on, but you know, uh, you can't deny that that there's uh, something to the support and resistance. What's actually going on is you've got a point where you've got an overwhelming number of buyers at some point and an overwhelming number of sellers. Okay. And so when you're trading, especially, you want to understand that once that makes that turn, let's say you're going long on something. All right. Uh, your best chance to to take profit before it turns around and goes back down is before the you know the next zone going up. Um, now, if you're on a much larger scale, then you're going to not try and make it through the next supply zone. You're simply going to look at the supply zone on a larger time frame. Either way, you should know where both the demand and the supply zone are before you put in your trade. Two opposing zones. You've been you had to work on this for a while, didn't you? This is good. I, you know what? Some some things came easy. Now number eleven was harder. Uh, well, I'll help you with number eleven. You're, you're going to help me. That's right. <laughs> All right. So on the third day of trading, the market gave to me three time frames. Oh, very nice. Yes, uh, I like. Yeah. So when you are trading, um, you know, one of the rookie mistakes is to simply look at the chart and decide what's going on based on you know, one time frame, five minute uh, chart or, or a 15 minute chart, uh, one hour chart, the, the better trader that gives themselves a higher probability is going to want to know that what they're looking at agrees with a longer time frame. And so we break this up in between, you know, time frames, And it, it really, it depends on, the, you know, what type of trading you're doing. Are you doing, uh, are you doing day trading, where you might look at an hour, 15 minutes and five minutes? Um, are you looking at a longer trade in a, in a day trade, which in which case you'd look at the day, step it down to um, the hour and then down to 15 minutes? Or are you looking at, or unless you're trading futures or Forex and then it's four hours to one hour, you know, stuff like that. Or are you looking at, um, you know, a swing trade, in which case you'd start at the week and, and uh, go uh, weekday down to the, no, you'd, yeah weekday down to the hour, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Complexity. So, There's lots of complexity in this, but three time frames allows you to see things that you just can't pick up with one time frame. Yes. So it gives you more information and you can be confident with more information of making a more well-informed decision. That's right. That's right. So the best inspiration comes from the best infor information. How and sometimes that? that's not just one picture. But what do the majority of traders do? They just stare at one screen and they make decisions based on that. So much more information yes. that they could get by looking in different time frames. And, you know, that's why we teach it. That's exactly right. All right. On the fourth day of trading, the market gave to me the four out of 10 rule. Okay. Now, what this is, is, is that we're going with a three to one here. Um, you know, if you've been to my three hour class, but you haven't been to the three day class, then I would present the five to one rule. All right. The idea behind the five to one is I'm accepting that the students in the uh, audience, um, really don't know what they're doing. And they're probably going to lose a lot more than they actually, um, than they're actually profitable. So I teach them the five to one rule, which is that, uh, that in every trade you set up for whatever risk you've got, um, in that particular trade, right? You're, you're setting, 
you're setting your entry point and your stop point and whatever number, how much ever you're risking, you need to have or to plan for five times the profit out of that. And if your opposing zone is more than five times uh, that profit, then you probably shouldn't take it, especially as a young trader that doesn't know what they're doing because you are more likely to fail. But if you have that five to one, you can be, um, you, you know, you can be 80%. You can lose 80% of the time and still be profitable. All right. Wait a minute. We well, hold on, up, hold on. You can lose 80% of the time and still be profitable? I know. Eight you out of can 10 be trades. wrong eight out of 10 times? Isn't that just amazing? This is a great job for Mary guys because we're told we're wrong a lot more than 80% of the time. <laughs> That's right. In fact, the only one telling us that we're right is ourselves. You know, and we're the only ones twice there a day to do in that. the mirror, and whatever it takes, right? That's right. That's right. So yeah, that's the interesting <laughs> thing about the reward to risk ratio. It allows you to lose more often than you win, but because on your winning trades you're more profitable than any of your losing trades, you can make up for the fact that you're wrong more often than you're right, and still be profitable. Yeah. Now, for you know, once we get people into class and and uh, they understand what they're doing, then we introduce something like the three to one rule. We expect them to be able to bump up. Uh, their winning percentage to, you know, at least 40% instead of 20%. Uh, and if you have a three to one, as in your profit is at least three times larger than your risk, then you can still lose six out of 10 times, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be four out of 10 right, and you're profitable. I just think that? it's amazing that you can lose more often than you win, but you can still be profitable. Mm-hmm. But that's how the numbers go. That's I draw it on the board every class. It's 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 not magic. It's just math. It's yeah, and I love math. Me too. Ma- math keeps me happy. All right. On the fifth day of trading, the market gave to me five different major trading markets. All right. We've got the stock market, the options market, the forex market, and the futures market, and the bond market. You now, really stayed up late figuring this out, didn't you? You know, some things, some, some things just come to me. Now, the the real hesitation here, I was looking at this saying, do I want this as five or six? Because recently we've had this crypto market creeping up. Ah. I'm not going to put the crypto market in there, all right? Because the crypto market hasn't made up its mind whether, you know, where it's going to be traded. It's kind of disparate. It's all over the place. Um, and and it, it just isn't all together in one major market yet. Because of that, number one, I'm not going to put it in as a major market because I don't like things that can't make up their mind. Indecision is not my friend. All right. And number two, um, because you can trade cryptos in like futures or in some of the other markets or just all, all on its own. But for young traders, I'm not a fan of cryptos at all. And the reason is, is because they don't have the same of the some of the same um, protective tools that you would have in uh, other markets. All right, so a good trader, you know, relies on stops as uh, some of their safety mechanisms. But if you're going to some of these disparate trading uh, houses, whatever platforms, they don't present a stop. You know, and even if they did, then it, there's a pretty good chance because some of these cryptos are so thinly traded, it's going to blow through it anyway, right? Uh, so, uh, cryptos have been something that everybody gets excited about, but I'm less excited about them. Well, the first thing we teach at Online Trading Academy is risk management. So we're 
only going to trade assets that have a reliable, proven risk management process. Because at the end of the day, it's not what you make, it's what you get to keep. And That's so right. Risk management. And I mean, if we really to see what we do here, we are the online risk management and probability academy, but that's way too big to put on the sign. Yeah. And the acronym isn't as cool either. Not, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so yes, on the fifth day of trading, the market gave to me stocks, options, futures, Forex, and bonds, the five different major markets. Now, futures, you get to trade all of that stuff. All right. You get to trade stocks, uh, options, which options on futures, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, bonds is in there and Forex is in there. And, and can, commodities. And you can even trade crypto on the futures and market. Co- yeah, that's right. And so crypto. if you want a little bit of a crypto bias, but you don't want to take the risk of an associated brokerage that deals in things that are not regulated as much, mm-hmm. then you can trade right on the Chicago Board of Exchange. You can trade cryptocurrencies versus the U.S. dollar with the reliability of having risk management to get you out if you're wrong. Now, you don't get to trade all of them. No. I think that the only ones I've seen, uh, you know, cryptos I've seen is Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yes. Ethereum. Yeah. And when, the, when they first came out on the futures market, I tried to short Bitcoin, but the volume was three, not 300 or 3,000, three. <laughs> and nobody was there to take the other side of my trade. And that's the real risk. If you're wrong, somebody's got to buy it from you. That's right. And that's not always the case with yeah. crypto. Not, not a fan of thin trading. No. Myself. Okay. Uh, yeah, so um, I, I'm, you know, w- one of the things that I love to uh, tell the students that are in my, my uh, three-hour classes, never get in the thick of thin things. Uh, that's a good rule of thumb, in my opinion. Never get in the thick of thin things. All right. On the sixth day of trading, the market gave to me the 60-40 rule. Ah, 60-40. All right. So what is the 60-40 rule? Well, it sounds taxing. It is. Ah. Tax, yes, that's exactly what it is. All right. So, um, you know, the markets were built for different things. The stock market, if you look at how it's built, it's actually built to hold wealth. It wasn't really built as a trading instrument, at least not in its beginnings. All right. And uh, options were built as, uh, as insurance on stocks, on the wealth category. Okay. Um, and you can tell in the, in the tax code um, what they were built for. All right. So in the tax code, if you if you go into the stock market, you're going to pay full working wage tax unless you hold that stock for 365 days. Uh, that's, you know, that that's a very long trade. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. I, I, that's a little bit beyond the swing trade area into the wealth trade uh, category. It's absolutely the wealth trade. It is a reward for you to use your capital to provide the markets with stability. They tax you less if you hold stocks for long, long periods of time in excess of a year. Yeah. Now, um, both the futures and the Forex markets were actually built for trading. And you can see that in the tax code as well. And so in the futures and Forex, um, you get a tax break simply for going in. All right. So you take a trade and and you're profitable. uh, Then the tax code says that 60% of that profit is going to be taxed at long-term capital gains. So taxed as if you held it for a year or longer, even if you hold it for just a day or two. Or a minute or two. It doesn't matter. You know, that profit is taxed at long-term capital gains. 40% of it is taxed at the regular working wage uh, income. Now it's called capital gains, but it's taxed at the working wage rates. Uh, But but a whole 60% of that is taxed at long-term capital gains. And that's a huge benefit 
if the majority of your money is coming out of trading or a majority of your income, I should say. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah, both futures and Forex built for trading, not so much in the, in the uh, stocks or options world. And as incredible as it seems, something with leverage like futures is actually safer than stocks because stocks gap every day and that presents added risk. Exactly. Futures open on Sunday and they don't close till Friday. So if you do know how to use a stop and your stop's in place, you don't have to be as afraid of a gap risk because they don't gap. Yeah, you sleep better. So they are tax advantaged. You can use them around the clock because your stop is in place and it'll be honored. There's no gaps during the week. It's just, why wouldn't people trade futures? That's right. Is there another benefit to futures over regular stocks? Uh, there are a couple. How about but leverage? Yes, leverage is, is probably the, uh, the number two. Besides that, you're, you know, you've got, uh, well, yeah, so I think that there are three major advantages. Um, time in the market is, is a huge thing. All right. Uh, so that 23 hours that you could be trading in any given day is huge. And, and that alone would entice me to look at it because I want to do it on my own time. Especially if you're working a full-time job and sure. you're not available to trade when the markets are open. You can trade around the market's hours. Yep. But the second thing that is very attractive, um, you know, is the risk management. And that means that, that uh, you know, if I were in stocks and I've got, uh, I've got a uh, stock there with a, uh, a stop in place, you're exactly right. The market, you know, emotions don't stop when the market stops at the end of the stock day, which is five p.m. on the east coast right all of a sudden the market stops but the emotions don't and if the emotions are saying oh no something's wrong then the stock is going to adjust price even while you're asleep just take There's a look nothing at nike. you can do about it take a look at what nike did uh, today friday take a look at uh, what nike did it gapped down 10 percent in one day and if you were holding nike through this morning, you got a very nasty surprise. And even if you had a stop in place, that gap wouldn't have worked for you. That's exactly that right. That stop would not have protected you from the gap we had in yeah. Nike this morning. But if you were in the futures market, yeah, your stop would have worked overnight. Absolutely. No, so no problems. Uh, futures are safer. They've got the leverage. They get tax advantageousness. Yeah. Why wouldn't people just want to trade yeah. futures? You, you know, and I think that people misunderstand leverage in the futures market. And so I'm going to explain it really fast, Okay. What the futures market was built for was to uh, um, have, you know, let's just take let's just take wheat for example. The farmer comes to the market and they want money to assure themselves that they should be planting wheat because they could plant wheat or corn or you know soybeans or potatoes or something like that. All right, so they come to the market and they start negotiating a price for the future sell of whatever they're they're going to plant. Um, and they're going to lock in that price so that they don't have to guess at what they're doing. Now, because all of the farmers are there, they're all bidding, and, and that's going to help the farmers, once everybody's got a good bid that they like, to actually plant things that aren't going to provide too much supply to the market and therefore knock, you know, knock the price of it down. Because if everybody's planting wheat at the same time, Wheat's not as valuable, and but but on the other hand, you know, there's corn, and nobody has corn, and so the little bit of of corn that's left over all of a sudden, you know, is is a huge price. So uh, supply market, and demand right? with everything. Yeah, supply and demand with everything. So the farmers come to the market and they say, "All right, I'm going to plant, and in three months, I'm going to deliver it to you." All right, um, and uh, so let's negotiate a price now. 
after that, after a price is negotiated, yes, on delivery, we will give you this amount of money. And what the farmer requires is 5% down to hold that contract in place. Okay, so what's actually going on is when you do a futures contract, you have to put that 5% down, but you control all of the contract, you're right, the, the whole, whatever the value of that is. And so um, you've got a 20 to one, you bring, you bring, uh, you know, 5% of the market, but you, you are controlling the 95%, 20 to one multiple on what you're doing. And that is huge. And so when you're doing, you know, a thousand barrels of oil, which is one contract of oil, um, yes, oil only moves a penny, but because it's over a thousand barrels, what you're actually seeing is a $10 per penny, um, you know, advantage. And so, and so if oil advances just, you know, just a dollar, well, you just made yourself, you know, some pretty good money there. You just made a thousand dollars and that nice. That's very, very nice. Yeah. If you were just trading oil on the stock market with a stock or an ETF that follows oil, that dollar move is a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. One dollar, unless you're using margin and, and then you've actually purchased, uh, you know, two stocks instead of one. So it's $2 for the one stock that you bought, but not a thousand dollars. So, so, yeah. so we love the leverage. Love the leverage. But not at the expense of risk management. So having a product that gives you that leverage while being open almost around the clock gives you the safety to trade that additional leverage. That's right. And and, and it's the volume that's in there. And by the way, you know, the, the did you know that the commodities market, the futures market is three times larger but in volume and in, in the money that goes through it than the stock market. I did not know that. Yes, three times larger. Wow. So um, you know, if you're picking out those things that, uh, that have the most, I don't know, just like any stock, you know, there's going to be those that are those assets that are ignored and it's thin trading, but on those things that are most, uh, commonly traded, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot more transactions in those than there are, um, you know, in many of the stocks. Interesting. I didn't know that. I did not know that. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go on to the eighth day on the eighth day of trading. The market gave to me the eight most traded currencies. All right, I, now I struggled with this one, but there are eight only eight currencies that um, that I will even trade. Now, the, now the currency market, the forex market, is actually thirty times thirty times larger than the stock market. It's the largest market in the world. Wow. Yeah, um, just a bit larger than the bond market, which is the second largest market in the world. But yes, the you know the currency market is where it all starts, and so it is the largest. But that doesn't mean that every single currency is very large. All right. Uh, for instance, the Thai bot, well, that, that's traded, but it, it's not traded nearly as much as the U.S. dollar <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. or the Australian dollar or things like that. And so there are eight uh, major currencies that have enough volume that I have a, a little warm and fuzzy in my, in my cold heart that says that I won't get gapped out. Um, if I want to get out, then I get out. If I want to sell, I get a sell, right? So Forex doesn't close either then during the week? If Forex does not. It's a 24-hour market, not seven days. A, well, you could technically say that it's seven days a week because there are countries that will trade on Saturday. Hmm. But it's, but such, it's so your, thin. For your big eight currencies. Yeah, for the big eights. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a Sunday night at 5 p.m. to... 
uh, 5 p.m. on Friday where you're trading, but 24 hours a day during that those periods. So your stops right? will still be more protective than things that gap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right? All right. So the eight major currencies and... Um, you know, are things like the U.S. dollar, the euro, the pound, the bot, uh, or not the bot, I'm sorry, the pound, um, the Australian dollar, mm-hmm. right? Uh, is New Zealand in there? New Zealand is in there as a major, and the Swiss franc. Okay. A lot um, of sheep in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, but evidently its currency is traded, in, you know, more than, than uh, many of the others. Ah, um, so, you know, here we would, we would immediately think of the Mexican peso. That is not one of the top eight. Hmm. And in fact, uh, some of the prop firms that allow you to, uh, you know, to trade will not let you trade the Mexican peso, you know, or some of those others, you know, uh, now the Sa- South African Rand is on there, hmm. is one of the major trades. I did not know that either. I know. Right. Yeah, who things, things we learn. Things we learn. All right. On the ninth day, now this is one I really struggled with. All right. On the ninth day of trading, the market gave to me a 9.30 a.m. start time to the stock market. Okay. You're really starting (laughs) to stretch it here now. (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) But 9 a.m. is actually, you know, kind of an important for all traders because um, no matter what you're in, whether it's, uh, you know, currencies or futures uh, or stocks and options, um, 9 a.m. is when the market starts to wake up, okay? Uh, and so you're going to have some major trading periods during the day. And, and uh, so even if you're trading things like currencies or futures, you know, you're going to look at the major markets and when their open time is because that's when you're going to see the market actually, you know, real movement happen. Um, 9 to about 9.45, you watch the, the futures market and it really moves. All right. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, then things get a little bit more quiet, but at Europe open, things really move. So if you understand the time zones that you're in and the times when, uh, things are traded and by the way, uh, you know, that's going to really depend on what you're trading. So if you're in the futures market, um, you know, one of the things that you want to pay attention to is when Brazil opens up, because that's when corn is, they provide so much of the world's, hmm. you know, corn supply that that is uh, one of the major centers. You're going to watch the, you know, corn actually is going to have a higher uh, volatility rate during that period than than many of the others. Look at the stuff I'm learning today. I know. I didn't know that either. Well, I thought all the corn came out of Kansas. Well, yeah, if you've been to Kansas, you'll you'd think that that was true. That's right. <laughs> I spent a week in Kansas one day. Really? <laughs> one day, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's a flat state to drive across. That's right. All right. On the 10th day of trading, the market gave to me the 10 a.m. stock rule. Ah. All right. What is the 10 a.m. stock rule? Well, if you've been a trader for a long time, then you probably know this, okay? Um, it's com- It was commonly set on the floor when there was a floor that you simply don't sell a stock until 10 a.m. Because the market is going to be so volatile between 9.30 open and about 10 o'clock that you really don't have an idea of where the price action for the rest of the day is going to be. It it starts settling down right about 10. And then it's time to decide whether you want to buy it or sell it. Hmm. All right. Now, for, um, for traders that count on zones like we do, we would typically um, close our trades before, you know, so if I'm in the, uh, 
as a as a futures trader, I will close down all of my trades at about nine fifteen on the East Coast, but uh, you know seven fifteen out here in Arizona. I'll close down all of my trades and I won't open anything back up until about nine forty or seven forty five. Um, after that, uh, that okay. volatility. So you're you're taking the initial move and then you're waiting for that ten a.m. reversal or whatever it is. Yeah. To then get a direction. The direction may be a completely different direction. And so that's pretty reliable then, isn't it? it yeah, it makes things a lot more predictable. And, you know, while, you know, while a newbie would say, hey, all I need is volatility, just give me something that I can tag on to. Volatility goes in two ways. And you find that, you know, you, you often find that people that are just there for the volatility and have no idea of the structure of the market, they'll be millionaires one day and paupers the next. Hmm. You know, it's boom and bust kind of cycle. And we have people coming in here and they tell us that well, I've made millions in the stock market. Well, why are you here then? It looks like you got things figured mm -hmm. out. Yeah, I'm here because I've lost millions in the stock mm -hmm. market. Yep. It's not what flat you make, traders. it's what you keep. That's exactly right. Okay. On the 11th, now this is the one I really struggled with. I'll take this one from you then if you like. Okay, because I did come up with something. Did you? You want to do that one then and all? Well, it, it goes along the same line anyway, right? Sure. So what I came up with was in the um, ICE commodities market, and me being a commodity guy, you know, would be a nerd enough to know this. Sounds cold. Yeah, number 11. It, it, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> international com uh, commodities, by the way. Yeah, so in the international commodities, um, sugar is number 11, ticker SB. Sweet. I know, right? Absolutely. Yes. Um, and because of the season, I had to throw that in there because uh -huh. sugar is is a major part of the season here. Yeah, that, that might even be better than mine. Well, I don't know. You came up with a pretty good one. I did on your 11th wedding anniversary, and I just had my anniversary uh, just three days ago. And so the 11th anniversary is actually steel. And so this also week, a commodity, by also the way. a commodity. There you go. Sugar, steel, all, all, all right there. And steel given to you by the big old sign, the big old X, U.S. Steel was recently purchased by a Japanese company. And what a gift if you owned U.S. Steel. It shot up oh, like yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah, gapped up 10%. So there's your Christmas present, U.S. Steel, which is, like we said, the 11th anniversary present. <laughs> and sure enough... It was a gift this year. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. All right. On the 12th day of trading, the market gave to me a 12% return. Uh, so the 12% return is a goal. All right. And most would think that that's an un unachievable goal. It's something you work for. Um, but let me just throw this out there, okay? Uh, if you look at, oh, what is it? Is it QYLD? No, QYLD is the NASDAQ. Mm -hmm. Um RYLD is the Russell. Uh, which one is it? Is it S? I can't remember. But but there are different funds that will do um, that will do uh, trading for you in the options market, and this is yes. called a covered call. A covered call fund to yes. you know, accelerate your profits. That's exactly right. Uh, and you know, back when when we talked about the eight different uh, different uh, options. Um, strategies that every options trader should know. All right. Covered calls was number one on the list. Hmm. All right. So there's buying calls. There's um, there's selling uh, cash secured puts, which is very important for a wealth manager if uh, if they really understand how to find the price action at the demand level. Right. Um, 
there's, uh, you know, there, there's the straddle and the strangle and the, uh, and the, um, what is it? The, the credit spread that you should know. But number one on the list is covered calls. Because if you own something, this is the only thing that we can teach. The only strategy that we can teach that comes with zero risk. Right. It's riskless. Because you're covered by the fact you already own the stock. Yeah. So and you're you... agreeing with somebody to sell it to them at a higher price than you bought it for anyway. So if it happens to get called away from you, you made money. Typically, you'll you'll place that covered call in an area where you no longer want to own it. Well, yeah. So there's two ways to do it, right? Um, the more aggressive way is to put that covered call, the strike price, up in a supply zone where it's likely to hit it and then go down. Now, in that case there's a pretty good chance that you're going to get it called away from you, but you've sold it in a supply zone. It's going to, it's going to uh, shoot back down and you can buy it for less than, than you bought it for. And that this increases over time your, um, you know, that your profit profitability in this particular uh, thing. And by the way, you know, many people are scared of that causing a, a taxable event. Okay, but there's also a rule, and if we had 30 days of Christmas, I probably would have brought this up. <laughs> but you actually have 30 days. If you sell something off, you've got 30 days to buy the same number of whatever it was, get back into it, um, where, where then you can, you can simply uh, keep riding that without causing a, a taxable event. So you All can right. wash your sins away. Yes, and it's it's called a wash. That's exactly right. Okay, uh, so you know, um, doing this strategy you would pick it up for lower than you just sold it for and you get the insurance money called the covered call. All right. Um, now, if you put it outside of the zone because you want to hold on to it, which is the more conservative way of doing it, then it's going to hit that supply zone, bounce uh, down. You're never going to actually have to sell it off, but you keep getting money. People are paying you for the opportunity to buy something that they're likely not going to buy. All right. And you would say, why would you do that? And I would say, well, the insurance industry is full of people that that pay for things that they never use. All right. Uh, so think about it this way: how how long have you been buying car insurance? Forever. When was the last time you used it? I've never used it. There you go. So you could have purchased your vehicle many times over with the money that you have spent on insurance. True. Okay. And so, you know, this is the game of options. Options are nothing more than, than insurance in the stock market, one way or another. And you can buy it or you could sell it. 95%, I think is the number, 95% of the contracts in the options um, expire without being exercised. So they truly use them as insurance. Truly using them as insurance. And we have insurance exactly on our right. homes, fire, theft, and flood, and we pay a premium. That's right. Every year. Are we disappointed that our house didn't burn down at the end of the year to use that? No. Yeah. But, but Geico's getting rich. in case it did. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, that, that's, that's uh, covered calls. And I think that if you own stock, you really should be using covered calls. Well, you have a capital investment. Why not use that investment with an alternate class-like options in order to increase your cash flow? That's exactly right. And so if you're looking at QYLD or RYLD, they're providing just from those covered calls an extra 11 12% a year. Wow, that's the return of the total market. Exactly. And so if you've already got something that's growing at 10%, but you can add just a couple more percentage points, then you've actually made that 12% return that is the goal. Hmm. Right? And, and I think that that's brilliant. And if you look at a 12% return over a 40-year time span, that is significant. 
Yes, especially if you're compounding your earnings. Yes, exactly. So rolling that uh, covered call back into, um, you know, a growth, uh, a growth type uh, stock or, or something like that for your wealth. Well, that sounds right. great. Where do I sign up? Oh, hey. Yeah. You know, and, and, and there is a place to sign up to learn how to do that. We, we teach all of these things, by the way. You know, so I know if you've been uh, listening to this podcast, you know that we uh, teach trading and investing. Uh, both of them. Uh, so trading, uh, you know, is typically for someone who wants to provide income for themselves. Investing is for long-term wealth type activity. Uh, we've been around for 26 years. Um, and uh, and if you look at, at our numbers, um, you know, a 4.72 stars uh, indicates a 97% student satisfaction rate. You believe that? Um, by the way, nine or seven or four point seven two stars. Did you know that Harvard doesn't get four point seven two stars? Wow! So, so we're better than Harvard. In fact, Disneyland doesn't get four point seven two stars. Ah, uh, well, the mouse is overrated. Well, yeah, but that means that we're the happiest place on earth, and they've been lying, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you could look at it that way. I, I do. I yeah. do. Yeah. So if you're, if you're here on vacation, you know, you, you probably ought to come in to the happiest place on earth and try out one. Of, we've got a free class for you. All right. It's three hours and we go over the basics of how things actually work in the markets. And, and a lot of these principles we actually do present um, and show you how it works with the probability statements, both from the investing side and the trading side. Okay. Brilliant class and it's free. So come on in uh, to the class. Uh, you would you would register for the class by going to our website. That's www.tradingacademy.com. Again, that's www.tradingacademy.com. And you'll be presented with classes that you can take. All right. Now, if you're in the Phoenix area, then we will um, present to you live classes. These are the best ways to go about um you know, uh, taking a class because if you're there, you can ask questions. All right. You're getting a 4d experience. I know we always think in 3d, but you're actually getting a 4d experience. There are five senses and you're, you're participating in at least four of those while you're in the class and learning from all of those senses. Now, if you're online, still good, you're going to get the information, but it's not, you're, it's two dimensional. You're not going to learn as well. Okay. So I love the in-person, but not having the information, whether it's 4D or 2D, is is probably worse than not taking it at all. So go to our website at www.tradingacademy.com and register for one of the classes. You'll thank me later. Or maybe at the class if you come in. All right. Love to see you. And uh, let me know that you heard me on the podcast and, and uh, you know, because I'd love to shake your hand, you know, uh, for anybody that's listening to me on the podcast. All right. All right. Well, thank you for spending, um, I don't know, about a half an hour. Ooh, almost an hour with us. Wow. How did we do that? 12. It's, 12, it's, easy. it's yeah. easy. Well, that 12 days of Christmas song went on forever. And I guess this one <laughs> did too. Well, I think we can all be thankful this time of year that we did not sing it. That's right. All right. Well, happy holidays and we'll see you next week.